welcome to another episode of Butterfly Kisses, a journey of spiritual transformation. I am your host, as always, Amy Gray Cunningham, and today I am joined with uh, Kim Sorrell. She is the director of a humanitarian organization, a popular speaker, and the author of two books. Her first book, Cry Until You Laugh, is about her and her husband's battle with cancer after being diagnosed just four months apart. Her second book, Love Is, chronicles her year-long quest to figure out the true meaning of love, which we're going to go into a lot about on the show today, and sometimes funny, sometimes scary, always enlightening journey that led to a life-changing discoveries found mostly on the streets of Haiti. So please help me welcome Kim to our show today. Hello, Kim. Thank you. Hi, Amy. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I've really been looking forward to this. I am so grateful to have you on today. We have so much in common, <laughs> a lot in common, but uh, we do. We do. Yeah. There's a sisterhood already between us, I think. Yes, definitely. Definitely. So tell us a little bit about your story and um, uh, your books, but definitely about your journey of spiritual transformation for your personal self here. Yeah, well, Uh, It's an interesting thing. I was diagnosed with breast cancer a few years ago. And anytime you hear the word cancer, it's scary, right? And I didn't know that there's choices to make and things you have to decide on. And you can see more than one doctor and (laughs) all the things that are involved with it. And uh, after being diagnosed, I didn't find any book at the bookstore that was um, anything but medical or depressing. And so I started writing as therapy for that and and just continued to write my, uh, four months after my diagnosis, my husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and passed away six weeks later. Oh, wow. it uh, It was so strange to go from being taken care of to being caretaker and walking through his cancer stuff and kind of putting mine on hold for a bit during those six weeks. And it was an interesting time of life. So unexpected. I was 47 years old and you just expect to grow old with somebody, with your person, right? Mm -hmm. To be on the rockers in your nineties, drinking lemonade. So uh, it was a big change of life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Totally get that. Yes. Yes, you do. So anyway, so that was my first book, Cry Until You Laugh. And but hanging on to God certainly was the thing that brought me through it. Like having a spiritual life, recognizing that there is a higher power and that there are things that that happen to us in life that we would never choose, that we have no choice over. We have no control over. Like we don't I would never choose cancer. I would never choose losing my husband. You wouldn't choose the stuff you've gone through. We we wouldn't make those choices, but the choices that we can make are how we're gonna live and how we're going to contribute to society and what kind of a person we wanna be. And I choose to be happy and helpful and loving and kind. And so I hang on to those choices because they're ones that I can make. How does love play a role in all of this for you? You know, for a while, I didn't know where love played a role. 
because losing my husband really made me question love, what love really is. And you know, we're taught love by our parents, our grandparents, whoever happens to be around us. A lot of things we learn about love are not love. A lot of things done in the name of love is not love. And so what is love really? There's no manual on love. There's no love for dummies. And so we, we learn as we go. And so I questioned it. I thought, hey, am I doing this thing right? And I was so in love with my husband that I was broken when he died and wondered if I could love again and what that would look like and what love even is for, for anybody. And so I decided I had to figure it out. What I did figure out changed my life and made such a difference in my whole healing process and in my life in general. And I think the things I figured out would change anybody's life. What's some of the things you figured out? Well, so I took this journey, right? I, I went to Haiti. That's what you do after you're widowed. I guess you go to Haiti and uh, <laughs> of all places in the world. And I decided I was going to take this 2000 year old poem. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. Does not boast, etc. And I was going to take it one word at a time and figure out what is love that is patient? What is love that is kind? and dedicate an entire year. But I kind of messed up because there's 14 words. <laughs> so I couldn't quite fit it in a year. So it took me a little bit longer, but uh, right out of the gate, love is patient. You know, I know what patience is. You know what patience is. You're not honking if you're stuck in traffic. You're not stomping your foot because you're ready to go when they're not ready to go. That to me was patience. But what I figured out is love that is patience is different than that. Anytime you put love is or love isn't in front of anything, it changes the meaning. So what I figured out is love that is patient is loving who you're with when I believe you should love everybody. So loving who you're with enough to recognize that here right now, this is the most important moment of your life. What's in the past is in the past. What's in the future is yet to come. Yeah, how many times are you with somebody, but you're not really there? Because I'm so, I was so guilty of this, like thinking ahead of a meeting that I had later or stopping on the way home to get milk or whatever. It happens to be you're distracted by something going on in the background and not being fully present here in this moment. And this mm -hmm. moment's going to come and go with or without us. And to love, the person you're with to show love that is patient you're fully engaged listening to words it's amazing how that changes things confrontations turn into conversations they never get into a confrontation it's amazing what a difference it makes when you really are there are present in the moment and loving the person that you're with that is very good advice on I have a hard time with that sometimes is being fully present with that person. I work on it, it but it doesn't come easy. My, my brain yeah. is always three steps ahead of me. <laughs> right, right, right. It has taken a lot of practice for me too. I continue to practice it, but it, yes, it took me a lot of practice. It was very difficult at the beginning. 
-hmm. just because like you, my mind is wandering. I thought I was the greatest multitasker in the world. Like I could think of three things while I'm having a conversation and knitting a blanket, I don't know, whatever. Um, but the truth is I'm not, I'm not mm -hmm. a great multitasker. Like I need to focus to be right here. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? Focus. I think it comes down to focus. It comes down to desiring, first of all, to mm -hmm. want to focus, to want to be present, to want to be here. So often I would say to somebody, how are you? You know, we, we just kind of throw that out. Hey, how are you? And don't necessarily want to stick around for the answer. But sometimes people need you to stick around for the answer. They need to talk to you about what they're going through. They need, they need a listening ear. They need someone to care. And love cares. You know, if you love somebody, you, you care. And when you say, how are you? You mean it. You want to know. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just working, working on the focusing and, and wanting to, wanting to work on the focusing. I say sometimes the biggest gift you can give someone is just a smile. I love that. I love that. That's, that's good. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. You, you never know what a smile can do for someone because mm -hmm. you don't know what someone else is going through at that particular moment. So true. So true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like to be in the grocery store and, and see somebody acting angry. And so then it makes you mad. And well, first of all, it shouldn't like nobody should control your emotions. You, you are the only one in control of yourself. But you don't know what that person's got, going through. Maybe they just lost somebody or maybe they got a tough diagnosis or who knows going through a divorce or, or whatever. But I say throw them a bone, you know, give people some slack, realize we're all human and we're all going to have bad days and love people through it. Love them anyway. Exactly. You just never know. What surprised you most about your love journey? There were so many things really that, that were surprising. The whole fact that every word was different than I expected. Like I started every chapter with what I think it's gonna mean. And then the story of what brings me to the truth of that part of love. One of the things was love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. I was kind of dreading doing that one. And I thought, well, mm -hmm. you know, you hear forgive and forget, right? And maybe you'll forgive, but you don't forget. We don't forget the things that happen to us. We don't forget our life experiences, what we go through. So I thought, love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. How do you possibly do that? How do you not do that? So that month when I was working on that, I'd gotten a phone call from a, a man from the US. I was working on a water project in Haiti and they wanted to come and see the water project to see if they wanted to be involved. So eight American men came over and then I had two men, Haitian friends to translate and help. And we drove out into the countryside and we got to where we were going to stay. And it was a small building with two rooms and four twin size beds in each room and a small yard with a cement wall around it. So, but we brought a couple cots and we brought an air mattress. So I'm thinking we're fine. You know, we can, we can all sleep in the rooms. We're good. Well, the head guy of the American men pulled me aside. Kim, Kim, can I talk to you? I'm like, sure. And he said, did you see the rooms? 
And I'm thinking, buddy, there's nothing else to see. Like, if this is a small place. There's nothing else here. And then I went, oh, he's going to think I want my own room. So I'll say, well, it's okay. I'll sleep outside. And then he'll say, oh, no, no, no. If anybody should sleep inside, it should be you. And then I'll say, well, I don't care if there's other people sleeping in the room. And he'll say, good, because there's only so much space. So I said, well, it's okay. I'll sleep outside. And he said, oh, good, good. Because we have men with us who would not want a woman in their room. I'm thinking, what's going to happen? It's so hot in Haiti. You only go in there to sleep. It's not like you're just hanging out in the bedroom and I wear pajamas. I mean, you know, whatever. So, but I uh, said I would sleep outside. So I had to figure this out. And so I saw a piece of plywood and it was held up by like some cement blocks. I thought, well, I can sleep underneath that. And so if it rains, at least I won't get wet. And we did have an air mattress. And so going to bed that night, I blew up the air mattress. But my biggest fear was that in the land of snakes and tarantulas and chupacabras or whatever is lurking in the bushes of Haiti, I did not want to get attacked or bitten or whatever slithered on in the night. That was my biggest fear, sleeping on the ground. So I went to bed and my air mattress held air for about an hour. So pretty soon I'm sleeping on gravel and it was so loud. Dogs were barking and horns were honking and around 1 a.m. that finally settled down. And then at 2 a.m. the voodoo drum started in the distance and they went and they went for a couple of hours. So 4 a.m. or so, finally I was able to get some sleep. So the first night came and went, no problem. Second night, same thing. I'm laying on gravel, listening to the dogs and the horns and the voodoo drums, finally doze off. But I woke up because there was something on my leg. And I thought, oh my gosh, does Haiti have the anti-venom to whatever it is that's about to bite me? Am I going to lose a limb? Can I be airlifted to Miami? Is there even a helicopter here? I was just panicked. I didn't know what was going to happen. So I slowly lifted my head and I slowly opened my eyes and it was a chicken. There was a chicken on my leg and I didn't know whether to be mad because the chicken woke me up from the little bit of sleep I was getting or to be happy that it wasn't something worse. Shoot it away, got some more sleep. Third night, just fine. Nothing happened. Fourth night, I go to bed on the gravel hearing the horns, the dogs, the voodoo drums, finally sleeping. And again, I wake up because there's something on my leg. And again, I'm scared to death. So again, I slowly lift my head and I slowly open my eyes. And again, it's the dang chicken. And again, I didn't know whether he mad or happy, but we had chicken for dinner that night. So the fifth night came and went without incident and all was fine. Well, I was angry at those guys. I was bitter. I was, I was thinking, boy, I sure hope my sons wouldn't treat a woman like this. I'm all about equality, but I am a woman. I'm a human being, for goodness <laughs> sake. And there was plenty of room for all of us. You know, we brought cots and air mattress, you know, whatever. So I was mad. I, I thought, who are these guys? Who do these guys think they are? None. I thought, I am working on love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And I realized finally what that meant. So I will never forget that time. It was pretty intense. I'll never forget that time. But the story changes in my mind and in my heart. 
the narrative changes. So instead of, oh my word, this time where these rotten men did this rotten thing to me, it's like, it's kind of a funny story. And I looked through it and I could literally sleep anywhere in the world and be just fine. So instead of harboring that bitterness that only would hurt me anyway, they would have no idea that I'm angry and bitter, right? It only hurts you. Instead of that, it's, it's just a story. It's just something that happened. And I'm not angry or bitter. I'm not keeping a record of wrongs because love doesn't. Everything happens for our benefit, if we look at it that way. Yeah, I think that's yeah. true. I think, though, part of that is that you have to find the benefit. Mm-hmm. Right. Sometimes you have to look really hard, but yes, you do. <laughs> that is At least so true. Just a chicken. <laughs> the chicken was probably saying, "You ate my brother. You ate my brother." <laughs> I think we ate that chicken, but it's okay. <laughs> oh, what were some of the other lessons you may have learned? That, that that's a funny, a funny story. What other lessons did you learn from Haiti? From Haiti? Well, kind. Love is kind. Mm-hmm. You know, we all know kind. We do kind, yeah. th- say kind things. We show kindness, right? But love that is kind. What is love that is kind? So the month that I was working on that, while I'm still practicing and practicing love is patient, because that's the first month and kind was the second month. I went to this place that I love to go. It's the Sisters of Charity Home for Sick Children. And it's in this neighborhood that has just been devastated by decades of poverty and the devastation of the earthquake. And it's in a tough place, but it's a beautiful sanctuary in the middle of this place. And I love to go to the lower level because that's where all the babies are and just find a baby and hold a baby and love on a baby all day and help feed and change diapers and whatever. So I went there and I saw this beautiful newborn laying in a crate in a crib amongst the sea of institutional cribs that was down there and I went over to him and he his name was Christopher and he was three weeks old and he had on a pink sleeper that was I'm sure donated by somebody worn by some beautiful little pink girl somewhere in the world And he was just gorgeous. And he looked so relaxed. He was like melting into the mattress. He had an IV in one arm. He had tiny little prongs in his tiny little nostrils that were allowing oxygen to feed his lungs. And I didn't know what was wrong with him, but I looked over at the end of the crib and a woman was standing there. And she was just this petite, wonderful, sweet looking woman who just looked so sad. And uh, she had on a, a, a white dress that had yellow smiley faces on it. And I thought, wow, you know, for this sadness and these smiley faces, what is happening? Well, that was Christopher's grandma, Natalie. And Natalie's only daughter was Christopher's mother. And she died shortly after giving birth to Christopher on her dirt floor of her one-room house. And Natalie thought at first Christopher wasn't keeping milk in his stomach because it wasn't his mom's. But as time went on, he grew less and less interested in the bottle and more and more intent on sleeping. 
So she held him tight for miles, walked for miles to get to the Sisters of Charity. And they found her a place, of course, and welcomed her in and started an IV, but they don't have a lot of medical equipment there. So with the most things that they have, a stethoscope, they figured he must have an abdominal obstruction of some sort. So that would require surgery. So they were trying to figure out what to do and how to make it happen. If that happened in the United States, that baby would have surgery, all is well, life is great, right? Mm -hmm. But we're in Haiti where doctors are scarce and hospitals are scarcer. And so at one moment in the day, Christopher stopped breathing. And in a panic, we figured out that the oxygen line had a kink in it. And as soon as we unkinked the line, we all breathed again. So we knew he needed oxygen to get him from where he was to the hospital. And so a doctor was ready for him and was on alert that this baby would be coming, but we needed a portable oxygen tank. I called everyone I knew in Haiti to try to find a portable oxygen tank in a city with 2 million people. No one could find a portable oxygen tank, one portable oxygen tank. So without oxygen, he would die. Without surgery, he would die. Poor Natalie, who now we're holding on to each other and bonding like women do, like mothers and grandmas do. We're bonding over this wonderful little boy, but she had to make the choice of what to do. And surgery was really the only choice. So they pulled a van up as close as they could to the nearest store and they kept the motor running. And one of the sisters grabbed his IV and the other sister picked him up in her arms and in a... <laughs> a rush of habits, they all disappeared through the door. I look back at the crib and Natalie is standing there. And I'm like, Natalie, go, go. And she was pointing down at her feet and she didn't have any shoes. And she knew they wouldn't let her in the hospital without any shoes. So I put, whipped off my sandals and I put them in one of her hands and I grabbed her other hand and I ran with her to the door. And she ran and hopped in the van just as it was pulling away. And so I gave her my sandals. Anybody would, anybody would. I would give her my sandals any day so that she could hold that baby, so she could be with Christopher. Anybody would do that. So I did something kind, love that is kind, and then recognized what it is. Love that is kind is no expectation love. I knew I'd never see my sandals again. I knew I'd never get paid for them in any way or thanked or any expectation of anything. And that's what love that is kind is. How many times have I said or hear somebody say, wow, they didn't even say thank you. Or I went to their daughter's graduation party, where are they at mine? And anytime though you expect something in return for your kindness, it's no longer love. Then you're doing something to get something. And that's not what love does. Love is kind, period. But I also realized that day that what Natalie gave me was so much more than a pair of sandals. To share that baby with me, to share her only living relative with me, and the bond that we made, I will never stop loving Christopher, and I will never stop loving Natalie. And what she gave me that day, letting me be there and be present with her, was so much more than a pair of sandals. And she knew she was getting nothing in return. 
She had no expectations of getting anything in return. You know, you had you had mentioned at the start of our conversation that there's no way you would have chosen cancer or chosen losing your husband. But had those things not had happened in your life, do you think you would have ever ended up in Haiti with this woman having this experience at that time in your life? No, no, absolutely. You're, you're spot on. I, I don't think I ever would have had that experience. Would you change that experience? I know this is a hard question to ask. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Um, my cancer, obviously I'm alive and well and here talking about it. Losing my husband, I would have loved to have grown old with him for sure, but he was so true blue. He was the greatest guy. He believed strongly in God and in afterlife and, and, and going to heaven. And I believe that too. And he was so faithful and so wonderful. So I was 47 and he was 51 when he passed away. And I have never begrudged him for it because I thought, man, to go to heaven at 51 and never pay another bill, never have another ache or pain or a cold or flu, that's not so bad. You know, that, yeah. that's not such a bad deal. And so good for him. Good mm -hmm. for him. And so, yeah, I, I wouldn't change it. I yeah. wouldn't change it. Your experiences in Haiti have really changed who you are from the way it from the way it sounds. And it's just it's a miracle all on its own. I did a an episode several months back about bus stop conversations and how sometimes I think that before we, we incarnate into this world, we actually have conversations with other souls, <laughs> whether or not this is true, I don't know, but it, it you know, it's, it's kind I of, like that idea. yeah. And, and, and we, we come into, we, we come into this, this earth plane with, with, I, you know, things that we want to do and learn. And so there's, there's certain things like, you know, my husband passed away at 51 as well. And, his his passing would I have wanted that to happen no but since then things have happened like the starting of butterfly kisses and the people that I've met and the things that I have learned that I probably would not have done had that experience not have happened in my life so that's why I asked that question and right right it's amazing how how your path changes mm -hmm. when when there's big events if exactly. if you let it I think that's part of the key right? Is, Very is true. You gotta let it. Yeah. Yeah. You have to let the healing take place and it brings up questions and it brings up, you know, well, what does, what does this mean? And how does this affect me? And, you know, where do I go? And, you know, what happens to him? And, and I, so all of these questions came up and I'm like, well, I'm going to find out. So I'm going to go on this journey. <laughs> <laughs> you go to Haiti. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I go to podcasting. <laughs> Everyone has their own path. <laughs> yeah. I seriously thought about selling the house, getting an RV, and traveling across the country. So, you know. well, if you decide to do that, please invite me along. <laughs> okay, I might do that. I still haven't. I I still haven't. Um, you know, given up that thought, thought yet. So, 
<laughs> Who knows? I might still do that. So tell us about, I saw on your website, you have a 14 day love challenge. What is all of that about? Yes. So 14 day love challenge. So, um, it's free. Anybody can go on my website and do I it. I love free. Free is a good thing. I love that word. Good word. Yeah. And so, uh, there's a, just a little video, short, super short little video for each day and, um, sheet that goes along with it. And it's just opening up the idea of the 14 things that are in that poem, uh, each one, one at a time. So, you know, day one is explaining a bit about what love that it is patience is and, and then how to live it. And so then the goal that day is to practice it, you know, to practice it in your own life. And if you do sign up for it, I, do you remember uh, there was a big WWJD craze? What would Jesus do? And everybody yeah. had, you know, wristbands and they had, you know, billboards. I don't know, whatever. It was everywhere. Mm-hmm. But Jesus is different to everybody. Yes. To some, yeah. he is God and mm-hmm. peace and love and light and all things wonderful. To some, he's a heretic. To some, he's a guy flipping over tables in the temple or he's a prophet. And so, everyone would answer that question a little bit differently. What would Jesus do? But love is universal. So if you answer the question, what would love do, WWLD, you're going to get a great answer. And so if you sign up for the love challenge, I will send you a free WWLD wristband so that you can be reminded what, what would love do. Very good idea. I love that. You might sign up for that challenge. <laughs> I have to be reminded of that sometimes. I actually um, had an experience this past weekend with what would love do. <laughs> I wasn't yes. very loving to a couple of people, but it happens. It happens. We're all human, right? Yeah, we're all human. You know, I think it's it's the desire to be loved to other people. It all begins with that, wanting to be. You know, I don't think love is an emotion like fear or excitement. I think love is who you can be. Yeah. I think you can be love to other people and to yourself, but and to other people. Well, love is an action. You're right, because it's it's who you are in the moment. And and sometimes love is, is grace as well and giving grace to, to yourself and to others and just allowing yourself to be where, right where you're at just just because you are yeah I love that that's so true love is grace for sure yeah because you just never know where where you're at so uh tell us where can where can people find your books well it's available everywhere all the online booksellers and at brick and mortar stores too like Barnes and Noble um but it's on Amazon it's it's wherever love is pretty easy title. I did everybody's homework for them. That's what I figure is <laughs> I walked it. I got chased by a motorcycle gang. I got lost on the mountain. I, you know, had to fear the tarantula sleeping on the ground, whatever. And so I did everybody's homework for them. I did your homework for you. So tell us, tell us about the story of getting chased by the motorcycle gang. Oh, oh you have to tell us about that story I, that was I saw that and I was like oh I've got to hear that story oh my goodness it was crazy we were working on a project I was working on a project in Haiti 
and I have a Dominican son and we have projects over in the Dominican Republic as well. I run a nonprofit organization and he'd come over with a truck. So I had to drive his truck back over the border from Haiti to the Dominican Republic and then to Santo Domingo area. And so I was with two friends, two, two guy friends from, um, from my area. I'm in Michigan. And we thought, this is, this is no big deal. They'd never crossed the border before, but I crossed the border before. So I didn't think it was a big deal, but we got there and part of it was underwater. And I've always been told, don't stop on the Haitian side, don't stop on the Haitian side. Because previously when I crossed the border, one building had both Haiti Customs and Immigration and Dominican Customs and Immigration. You just walked a few steps to get the second stamp. So I thought, I know where the building is. We're going through this gate and we're going over there. Well, we got over there and people are waving us down, trying to stop us, but we didn't stop. And come to find out, we did have to stop. So here it's flooded and we have this pickup truck with tools and everything in the back of the truck. So one of the guys stayed with the truck and a guy came up to us, a, a Dominican who spoke English, which was wonderful. And he negotiated with a couple of uh, guys on motorcycles to take us back over the border where we should have stopped and get our passport stamped and come back over. And the water was high, like my feet were getting wet on this motorcycle. So we'd negotiated rice. So we went, came back, whatever, got everything stamped. Finally, we were on our way. And the guy, we left the guy in the back because we didn't want anything stolen. So we left my friend in the back and he starts yelling, go, go, go. We're like, what, what, what's going on? And then we realized that someone was throwing rocks, like big rocks at the truck. People were chucking big rocks. And, you know, he, I, he fortunately he didn't get hurt, but he could have gotten hurt. And then we saw that these motorcycles are behind us. And so we just went as fast as we could. Like I wasn't driving, my friend was driving and it was like being on a racetrack. You turned into Mario Andretti. We were taking curves on two wheels, it felt like. And these guys were just in a hot pursuit. And, and my friend said to me, why are they chasing us? I'm like, ah, whatever. But when we finally got away from them, finally got enough distance, he said, why were they chasing us? What did they want? Well, what had happened was we had negotiated a price and I'm, I thought it was a fair price. It's what they wanted. And so when they asked for money, they wanted more money. And I said, no, we negotiated the price. This is the price. And we argued back and forth for a while, but I handed them what I promised and we left. Well, because I didn't give them more money. That's why we were being chased. And so I told my friend this and he said, well, how much more did they want? Then I was a little embarrassed because they only wanted another $5. And so maybe I should have paid the money instead of getting chased by these guys. But I didn't, obviously. So <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It was a good time. <laughs> what did your friend say to that? Oh, that's hysterical. Yeah, yeah, I don't think he was real impressed actually with that. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, lesson were you learning on that one? What kind of love? 
Well, I was working on love doesn't easily anger. And here these guys were obviously angry, right? And I was trying to keep my cool. Love doesn't easily anger. Love doesn't easily anger. And we ended up getting pulled over too on the way to Santo Domingo by guys that looked like they were military, but I don't believe were military. They were just doing stops, hoping to get some money, whatever. And they pulled us over and we still had this Dominican guy with us. He, he went along for the ride. And um, so he's, he's saying, he says, get out of the car. So we get out of the car. So we're all standing there. And then he says, he wants your passports. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to give him my passports. I mean, you know, then he could just shoot me. Like, I'm not going to give my passport away. And so we argued about that. And then, then he's saying, lady, lady, just give him the passports. No, I won't. I, I just refuse. We had to empty the whole truck. They went through everything. And I'm thinking, uh -huh. I mean, we've got some tools and I've got a lot of really stinky, dirty laundry from working on building in hot, hot Haiti. So go through it, have at it, you know, whatever. And, uh, but it was pretty intense because these guys had big guns and we didn't know if they were gonna let us go, if we were ever gonna see our relatives again, or what was gonna happen if we'd be kidnapped and held for a while, somebody pay a ransom. I don't know. We, we didn't know what was going to happen. So it was a pretty intense time. And we were there for quite some time. And finally, I think he got tired of me. So he told me to get back in the truck and drive away. <laughs> so he let us go. And, and, you know, here I'm working on anger. Love doesn't easily anger. So I'm standing there with this guy who is really threatening my life, wanting all my possessions and money, wanting my passport. And I'm trying to keep my cool. And I'm like, I'm supposed to love this guy. Like, I think you should love everybody. So I'm standing here in front of this guy that I should love. And, you know, with his cohorts, with the other guys that are there, we were outnumbered. And I thought, okay, how do I love him without getting angry? How do I do this? But I did by some miracle, by the grace of God, I kept my cool which was a good thing. I mean, that, that helped save us. And, and so it just taught me that you don't have to lose your cool. You don't have to get angry and upset, even when somebody else is angry and upset. I mean, when you're arguing with somebody, things happen to you physically. Your blood pressure goes up. All these endorphins run through your body, your adrenaline's flowing, you know, whatever's going on. And you're, it makes you crazy in your head. And it's hard to come down from. And so you get to this place where you're no longer hearing each other's words. You're just yelling at each other. And, and it's useless. Like it, it doesn't get you anywhere. And that's mm -hmm. not love. You know, I mean, we all have moments when we're so mad, we need to just let it out. But, but that's not love. You know, love would say, eh, be angry if you have to. You know, yeah. if it gets to the point, and that's what you really need to do. Go ahead, be angry but it shouldn't be easy. You should try to keep your cool. And so keeping my cool might've saved my life that day. I have a feeling your husband probably helped out a lot in that one too. <laughs> I, think so too. I think so too. You know, what's funny um, is he, we, we were opposite in so many ways, you know, he was quieter. 
you know, I was the mouth, you know, whatever. And uh, I would do things like that wasn't the smartest thing that I've ever done in my life. I continue <laughs> to do things that maybe aren't the smartest thing without thinking in advance too much. And he would just look at me and he'd go, Kim, shake his head. And so uh, now I don't have that filter anymore. <laughs> but I think he probably still is uh, being my filter in a different yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he is. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. That's hysterical. Well, is um, there anything else you would like to tell our audience or our listeners today about love and your books? Oh, one thing I wanted to share with the audience that um, um, I did take note of is the, uh, you have a a quote from Jack Canfield on your website. And I want to share that with the audience because I think it's really kind of cool. <laughs> and Jack, Jack Canfield is the author of Chicken Soup for the Soul. And he says, I absolutely love this book. It is definitely chicken soup for your soul. I can't stop turning the pages. It is part memoir, part adventure story, and part personal and spiritual development guidebook. Do yourself a really big favor and read this book. So I say yes. Awesome endorsement. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Jack. Yeah, that's so cool. Love it. As an author myself, that is really that's, that's high, high, high digs there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the one thing about love, like you know, there's all these, you know, the 14 different things, right? And more, I'm sure, but those 14. But there's this overall arc of all of it. And it's love, loving the right way, real love, true love, showing that, living that is complete and total freedom. Because you are free to just love. No condemnation, no judgment. You allow people to be who they are. Live who you are. Be your true self. Everyone should be allowed to just live who they are. And funny thing, we don't change people anyway. We don't control people. We <laughs> are in control of ourselves and that's it. So in just loving people and allowing them to be who they are, you can have a different opinion. There's nothing wrong with that. It makes the world a little bit spicier. It'd be kind of boring if we all believed the same thing, thought the same way, mm -hmm. did the same things, right? Mm -hmm. So it's okay to have another opinion. And when you stop and listen with love that is patient and not just assume what somebody's going to say based on their political party or their country of origin or whatever it happens to be, you find out you have a lot more in common than you think. And so loving, just loving is the freest way to live because that's all you have to do is love. All you have to do is love. I love it. Love is. Thank you. One last question that I ask all the guests. If you have an hour to sit and talk with someone on a park bench, whether that person be alive or dead, who would that person be and what would you talk about? Oprah Winfrey. Yes. I love Oprah. And I would just sit and listen and soak in what she has to say but I'd love to get her perspective on, on love and life. I would love to just have that conversation. 
like a super soul Sunday and just sit and talk with her. She's a pretty wise woman. She is. She really is. Maybe we can get Oprah on here one day and we can all three sit and have a chat. I like that idea. I, yeah. I think we should. Yeah. Yep. 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 We'll put it out there in the universe. Oprah, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You're invited. Let's yep, do this. You're invited. <laughs> have a chicken soup Sunday. <laughs> I love it. Well, Kim, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been so much fun. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Your stories are phenomenal. And I can't wait to have another book out one day. Yeah, well, thank you, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. I've, I've enjoyed it as well. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Butterfly Kisses, a journey of spiritual transformation. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe by hitting the subscribe button. This way you won't miss it when a new episode is released. Also, if you're interested in learning more about Akashic Record readings, you can schedule a free 15-minute consultation with me by visiting my website at amygraycunningham.com. Again, thank you. And remember, always spread your gorgeous wings, my friend, and fly. Until next time, see ya.